This podcast is sponsored by Ball in Maidstone, your brand new luxury sports and gaming bar with American pool, table tennis, beer pong, live sports, delicious food and bottomless brunches. Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Hello, hope you're okay. Thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast. It's Thursday, December the 16th, the day the Prime Minister visited Kent to see how the emergency vaccine booster programme is going. Boris Johnson announced on Sunday night that he wants all of us to have had a third jab by the end of the year. Where he described the Saga vaccination facility in Ramsgate as the best he'd seen and spoke to our reporter Oliver Kemp. There's definitely enough vaccinations in stock. There's also enough capacity here in this incredible centre in Ramsgate. Actually, they could do even more. What's so amazing is you talk to them, they've gone up four times since last week in the number of, of, of jabs that they're doing, but they could do even more. And uh, if, you, if you talk to Dr Ash, who's running it, they're still doing the 15-minute wait for, uh, for people after they've had their jab. Uh, actually, that's no longer clinically required by the MHRA or, or by the, the chief medical officers. So they could dispense with that and, and move forward uh, even faster. Um, and I would just say to everybody in the, in the, in the, in the Kent Medway area, you know, the, the capacity is here. There's a, a huge jabs army of enthusiastic volunteers and uh, doctors and nurses who are willing to get the, the jabs into your arms. Come forward and get them. The latest data we've, we've had suggests the uptake in somewhere like Thanet is actually very high for the booster, about 40%. But there's places like Dartford That's where right. the Omicron variant is much higher where it's only about 30%. So on what, what message do you have to those people who have yet to take the booster up? You're, you're so right. The, 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 one of the issues that we have is, is mixed take-up in, in some parts of the, uh, of the, of the region. We've, we've just got to get everybody out there and to, and to see the vital importance of getting boosted now. And I think people uh, do get it. Uh, but, you know, we, we need to, to get those hard-to-reach communities to understand the, the value of this to them. And they do. You know, the funny thing is that the, the people are still coming forward. Just to, I've just been told this morning, people are still coming forward to get their first jab. It's not just the boosters. There are, there are about four, four million people in this country who haven't had a first jab. Uh, and they are now starting to come forward as well because they can see Omicron and they can see the advantage of, of getting vaccinated. We, we've heard that you, you know, stepping up to get this vaccine emergency rollout done is going to be difficult for NHS services across the country. It's a big target to hit, you know, kind of hit a million boosts a day. Um, we, we had one person in Seven Oaks, um, one mem- staff member at a walk-in vaccine clinic on Monday doing everybody, like one single member of staff with hundreds of people. I mean, how can you keep supporting Kent and what you're going to do to help support health services we're, in Kent? We're, we're putting huge amounts into the, uh, into the NHS and into, uh, and into public, public services in, uh, in Kent. And I can, I can say that uh, Justin uh, in the um, East Kent uh, hospitals, uh, uh, university, NHS Foundation Trust. Uh, there are about uh, 304 more doctors and 345 more more nurses. Uh, and uh, we we are investing the whole time. And you remember we put a, a, another 36 billion uh, into it. There are now record numbers of of doctors and nurses in the NHS overall across the across the country, and record numbers in training. We've got about 60,000 nurses in, in training. And I think that, well, actually, this has been a, a sort of golden age for uh, recruitment uh, and understanding about what the NHS can do for this country. And you're going to see many more people coming forward. But look, I'm not going to hide it from you. This is a tough time. And the NHS is really, really 
uh, doing an incredible job. And I know that their people are tired uh, and I know they've had a stressful year and I can't thank them enough. They're doing an absolutely uh, incredible, incredible job. Um, but we will give them every, every support that we can. I just want to make one point about the, the rollout. The more we vaccinate now, even though it's tough, so even though it's an extra thing to ask for the NHS, the, the better the chance we have of stopping a massive problem in January, February, which is always the most difficult time for the NHS. So actually, taking the strain now is, is a way of preventing much bigger uh, damage to uh, a, a much, a, 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 a lot more stress and difficulty for the NHS in the really difficult part of the winter. Do you see what I'm, I'm trying to say? And I think that, that, I think that although that they, they, I think on Sunday night when we first launched this, I think a lot of people said, what, you can't be serious. Are you really saying we've got to do this? You talk to them now, they are rising to it. They do get it. They do see, and also they, I think they, they see how they can do it. And it's just inspiring to, to see it. And you can find out why Ollie was left staring at a plate of croissant for longer than he was speaking to the PM by reading his story at Kent Online. Meantime, England's chief medical officer has reiterated his call for us to be cautious about who we see over Christmas because of the current wave of Omicron infections. I wouldn't want to um, say to people they should do a particular thing, they, they should do this or they should do that. This is about saying to people, look, this is a period to prioritise. And that also, to be clear, was a message the Prime Minister also uh, said last night. Professor Chris Whitty there, who's been speaking to a committee of MPs today. There was a bit of confusion after last night's news conference when he urged us not to mix with people we don't have to. While the Prime Minister was adamant he won't be closing the hospitality sector. Well, Mr Johnson also insisted during that visit to Thanet earlier that he's not imposing a lockdown by stealth, but says we should prioritise social events over the festive period. We've got Omicron spiking. Uh, we don't want to tell you what to do in your social life. We just want people to exercise caution and, and restraint. If something is a priority for you, if going to a football match is something you, you want to do, then uh, then think about how to, to minimise your exposure. Uh, think about getting a test. Uh, do all the sensible things. That's that's what we're saying. We will return to this topic in just a bit, but it's also been announced today that France is going to close its borders to British travellers again unless there's a compelling reason for you to be there. From Saturday, you won't be able to travel across the Channel even if you're fully vaccinated. You might remember the same thing happened last year and miles of queues of lorries built up on the M20. Well, we've been assured freight won't be affected this time around. Chris Parker from DFDS Seaways, which runs ferries between Dover and France has been speaking to Lucy. We understand fully the, the need for border security and, and everybody is on high alert for spread of the Omicron uh, virus. So we fully understand the health necessity behind it. Um, of course, it will have a material impact on our customers um, in the run up to Christmas, unfortunately. A lot of our customers at this time of year are traveling home for Christmas or they're traveling abroad to, to, to see uh, to see family. And um, we were seeing quite a big spike of, of uh, activity already for this weekend, um, the last weekend before Christmas. And of course, last year, people weren't able to, to travel at all. So I think a lot of people were looking forward to being able to, to go and see uh, family. And has it changed your plans for your services and, and the ferries that are going to be running to and from Dover? 
No, not at all. I mean, our core activity is freight and we will continue to run all of our services between Dover and Calais, Dover and Dunkirk and New Haven, Dieppe. You know, it, it's really important that we have that continuity of service. Um, so th- there'll be no change to the schedules um, at all. Uh, what there will be, of course, will be a significant reduction in the number of passengers using them. But the, the freight we, we expect to still continue uh, as strong as ever. And I know the MP for Dover has spoken out and said, you know, authorities need to be careful here because, of course, this time last year, we had huge delays at Dover, you know, affecting all of Kent's roads, really, um, with the the restrictions that France brought in. Um, Do you think something like that could happen again this year or, you know, because lorry drivers are exempt from this travel ban, um, will things be a bit smoother? Well, I, I think we all had a little bit of a sinking feeling when we, we heard the uh, the first uh, announcement. I think, yeah, certainly looking back to last year, it was, of course, extremely difficult um, for uh, for us as an operator, for the freight drivers who were stuck for so many days. And, of course, for the whole of Kent, you know, it, it was not a great time of year for, for any of us. Um, uh, and, you know, last Christmas Day, I went along with, with a lot of colleagues who were in in the port in Dover, helping to to repatriate, you know, very grateful freight drivers who were hoping to get home to have some form of Christmas. This year, I don't expect anything like that, because as you say, freight drivers are exempt from from these restrictions. So we shouldn't see the same impact on on uh, on the roads or um, or indeed, you know, those delays that uh, that the drivers had. So from that perspective, at least, um, it, it shouldn't be anything like last year. And we've got a couple of days now before these restrictions come in. What are things going to be like, you know, for the rest of today and tomorrow? Do you envisage a lot of people, you know, like you mentioned, family perhaps going home for Christmas? Will people bring their trip forward and will you be, you know, extra busy tomorrow because of this? Yeah, we're already seeing now we're seeing an increase in calls to the contact centre and a lot of people are are trying to move their travel forward uh, so they can escape those, those particular restrictions. For very obvious reasons, we are not back to full capacity in terms of passengers because we're still social distancing on board. So we have a maximum capacity of 500 passengers where, you know, ordinarily we can't be able to carry much more than a thousand. So, you know, we are limited in terms of what we can take, but we do have a lot of departures every day. I hope that as we move into the new year and as we see the virus become more endemic, that we will be able to step away from this sort of reaction, this boom bust of being able to travel, not being able to travel, because that's the most damaging thing uh, is, is, you know, confidence to be able to book and be able to travel. So I hope that next year that we'll start to see that ease off and, and people will be able to travel with, with, with much more confidence. So even though the PM has said he's not going to do it, is it time for another national lockdown? We've been asking you that on socials today in our poll on Twitter. 37% of you have said yes, while 63% say no. On Facebook, Rachel Whiffin has said no, absolutely not. We need to learn to live with it. Jane Roberts has added absolutely not. It's up to every individual individual to make their own decision. It's their own personal choice and depends on health problems. I understand if someone has a health issue and stays in to protect themselves and family members, it should be their decision, not the government's. Natalie Miller has said, even if we do get put into lockdown, I doubt anyone will take part. We've all had enough now. And finally, Graham Jarvis says, no, it's time to end restrictions to live with the virus just like we do with other seasonal viruses. Well, it's an interesting one to debate. We'd still love to know what your views are and it's going to be the topic of discussion on the lowdown on our Facebook Live tonight. 
You can comment whilst the programme's on and ask a question to our panel of experts by tuning in from six. Also related to COVID today, interest rates are going up for the first time since the pandemic began. The Bank of England's confirmed they're increasing from 0.1% to 0.25%. And a Kent County Council meeting has been called off because of concerns about rising infections. It was supposed to take place today, but will now be postponed until after Christmas. Bosses say they have a duty to consider the health, safety and welfare of councillors and staff. And you may have heard that a number of shows in London's West End have been called off after cast members went down with the virus. If you were planning a pre-Christmas trip, you can find out which ones have cancelled performances at kentonline.co.uk. Kent Online News. We're going to return briefly now to the top story from yesterday's podcast and the mum of one of the victims of David Fuller, who abused bodies in Kent hospitals, is calling for an independent chair to lead the public inquiry into what he did. The 67-year-old from Heathfield in East Sussex is now serving the rest of his life in jail for murdering two women in Tunbridge Wells in 1987. He was also jailed for offences at mortuaries while working as an electrician. Azra Kamal died after falling from a bridge on the A21 near Tunbridge last year and was one of Fuller's victims. Her mum, Nevrez, says she's yet to hear from the inquiry team. We would like those details to include a statutory public inquiry where the families do have a say and do have a voice. To date, Sir Michaels has not spoken to us. Well, the Department of Health says the inquiry will look into what happened and seek the views of the families. The former Met police officer from Deal who murdered Sarah Everard has been moved to a new prison. Wayne Cousins from Freeman's Way was handed a whole life sentence for kidnapping and killing the 33-year-old in March. He's now been transferred from Belmarsh in South London to Franklin in Durham. A man who repeatedly exposed himself to people in Kent is back behind bars after breaching terms of the sex offenders register. Robert Jenner, who became known as the Naked Carpenter, admitted three offences within weeks of being released from prison. The 47-year-old, who used to live in Snodland, was arrested in July and has been locked up for another 10 months. The air ambulance has been called after a woman and child were hit by a van in Raynham. They've been taken to hospital along with the driver following the collision in Station Road at around half eight this morning. And a delivery driver has been sacked after he was caught stealing two packages left on a doorstep near Canton. The parcel force worker took Amazon boxes from outside a village home while pretending to drop off his own. You can see the video footage on the website. The Kent Online Podcast with Ballin Maidstone. A damning report out today has found that refugees are still being held in poor conditions after arriving on the Kent coast. Inspectors and independent monitors who visited facilities, including Dover's Tug Haven in October and November, were concerned that unaccompanied children were also being held with unrelated adults. Women who said they'd been abused by smugglers were not being adequately supported. Well, I've been speaking to Charlie Taylor, who is the Chief Inspector of Prisons. What we saw at Tughaven was really extremely concerning. We we were there in September 2020 and things were looking uh, pretty bad. Um, We wrote a very critical report at the time and received assurances from the Home Office that things were going to be sorted out. But, But we then returned in October and enormously disappointingly, we saw that there'd been very few improvements that despite the fact that it's pretty easy to predict when these boats are going to arrive, there was no facility for the Home Office to be able to ramp things up, no facility to be able to provide proper conditions for people when they arrive cold, wet, 
and sometimes with petrol burns uh, as they get off the boats. How concerning is that, Charlie, that they don't appear to have made any improvements since your last visit there? Well, there were, there were, a, there were a few small improvements, slightly better health care we saw. Um, they now have, have put up a marquee in the docks at Dover, which means that at least people are able to stay reasonably warm. But given that uh, in, in some circumstances we see up to 400 people sleeping overnight in tents on, uh, with, with barely having mattresses on the floor or even having to sleep on uh, double-decker buses, uh, it, it's, it's really unacceptable. And what's particularly worrying from our point of view was the treatment of unaccompanied children. And you know, goodness knows what some of these children have been through uh, and, and have, have the potential to have been victims of exploitation and, and slavery and all sorts of things. And yet we were seeing sometimes up to 45 children, sometimes with adults, in one case an adult with a criminal record, all just crammed into one very small room, all just sleeping on the floor with uh, the lights being kept on all night. How does that make you and your inspectors feel when you actually see that? I, I think the Home Office originally weren't predicting that this many people were going to come over the channel and there was a sense that, um, that they were going to be able to stop them coming over. But for whatever reason, that isn't the case and large numbers of migrants are coming over the channel. And this is a big, hot political issue and people have very strong views about it. But nevertheless, once children arrive in this country, we have to treat them properly. We have to make sure that that that, that conditions are right, that, that their health needs are taken care of. They are our responsibility while they're in this country. And so it, it's just really disappointing to see that despite having done a pretty hard-hitting report in September last year, that things haven't got better. And you mentioned about some people turning up with burns. Well, yes, because what, what happens is the boats they come on are, I mean, you would have seen photographs of them, uh, they're sort of 12 to 15 foot long. They're very flimsy rubber dinghies with with, motor, with engines that are far too small. That means they have to fill up with petrol as they cross the channel. Petrol gets sprayed everywhere because there's a swell in the channel, which means that people then, particularly with the salt and the, and the wetness of the clothing, um, then can create uh, petrol burns. And there was one particular case where a girl had got burnt. She, she had a petrol burn on her trousers. She hadn't been picked up. Um, initially and hadn't been given uh, clean dry clothes and it was only two days after she arrived that someone realized that she had a really serious burn and the seam of the of her trousers had actually begun to be kind of absorbed into the burn and, and potentially will leave her with scarring. At Kent Online today, you can see pictures from inside those facilities. We've also been getting reaction from Bridget Chapman, who's from the Kent Refugee Action Network. This report um, sadly confirms our worst fears that the situation there is extremely bad and what is particularly frustrating is that the concerns that have been flagged up this time were flagged up in the same inspection process a year ago so it's particularly shocking that these have been raised and not dealt with and we are talking about very very serious safeguarding issues Yes, and inspectors themselves have said that, haven't they? That, look, this isn't the first time that we've raised concerns. I mean, can you describe for us a bit about those facilities? I mean, have you actually seen them for yourself? Have you ever been allowed down there or not? No, they, the facilities are in a, a secure area of, of the port at Dover. We don't have access to them. Um, but I've seen photographs that are in the reports, and I've also spoken to people that have been inside those facilities to try and get a kind of visual idea of, of, of what it's like. So you've got two 
um, facilities at Doverport, basically Tughaven, which um, is really no more than some marquee tents and some metal containers. And you've got the Kent Intake Unit, which is a small building where the, 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 the room where people are kept is, is it's pretty much like a doctor's waiting room with fixed seating. There is one shower available, um, no showers at all at Tughaven, um, and no, no beds, no proper beds in either place. So if people sleep there, they're sleeping on the floor usually. These are, yeah. these are facilities where you might expect, you know, you might expect, like, if you imagine that if, you, if you've been to A&E, it's a kind of A&E waiting room. And we all know that it's fine for a couple of hours, but any longer than that, it starts to become really, really uncomfortable. And these are the people that have had an extremely traumatic journey. They're often, you know, hypothermic or semi-hypothermic. Um, it is totally unacceptable to keep people in those conditions. And we know how many people are, are arriving here. Obviously, that's a whole separate issue, but nothing has been done to make those arrivals safe. And we know that they're often arriving in very, very, as you say, very, very poor conditions. We've been hearing about fuel being spilt on people who are suffering burns. I mean, they need to be looked after as soon as they get here. I mean, what would you like to see and, and see quickly as far as those facilities are concerned well you know the home office will say well you know numbers have gone up and we don't have anywhere to put people but the fact is we need to be really clear numbers are not up um, the numbers coming by boat are up but the numbers coming overall they're no bigger than they ever were in fact there have been years where we've seen far more people arrive and they've been they've been managed much more effectively the fact is is that the home office um, is processing applications for asylum at a glacially slow pace, whether that is deliberate or not, it, it does feel that way. And that means that the initial accommodation, which it has contractors to providing, isn't being freed up. Were they to process those asylum claims in a timely fashion, you would free up accommodation and nobody would have to be staying in these, in these appalling conditions. And the fact that this was flagged a year ago, all of these, well, not just one issue, but many, many serious safeguarding issues, they were flagged a year ago and they haven't been dealt with effectively. It starts to look like deliberate cruelty, doesn't it? If you are, um, if you, if, if, if things are flagged up and you deal with them, that's one thing, but if things are flagged up and a year later you have failed to deal with them, that just simply isn't good enough. Well, the Home Office have sent us a statement in relation to that inspection report out today. It says, last month's tragedy is a devastating reminder of the dangers of channel crossings and that's why we are overhauling our broken asylum system to protect lives and ensure people smugglers can't profit from this crime. We take the welfare of people in our care extremely seriously and since these inspections we have continued to improve facilities and are opening new secure facilities. The new plan for immigration is the only long-term solution to reform the system and build one which is fair on those who play by the rules and firm on those who do not. Of course, when it's relating to the tragedy in the Channel, it is the deaths of the 27 people who drowned when the small boat they were on sank as it tried to make the crossing to Kent. 
Meantime, a family, including a child with his dad, have been rescued from a kayak in the channel. Coast Guard, search and rescue and border force officers have been responding to calls off the Kent coast since last night. Someone on board a boat from France has also been helped by paramedics after they got injured while on land. A concrete tunnel could be built in Whitstable to protect around 100 homes from flooding. The 140-foot-long structure would be set up where the Swale Cliff Brook meets the sea at Long Rock, a site of special scientific interest. It's regularly blocked, causing water levels to rise. Canterbury City Council, which is behind the plans, say it would allow water to outfall into the sea without obstruction when there's flooding. Almost a week after it was announced Maidstone's park and ride service will be coming to an end next year, there's now a suggestion it could be saved. It's understood Arriva, which took over the running in 2019, has asked the council for a monthly grant of £25,000 for three months to keep it going. Bosses have declined to confirm that, but after questions from councillors, the issue will now be debated again during a policy meeting next Wednesday. Sales of electric vehicles in Kent are continuing to surge amid a rise in fuel prices. Latest figures for November show they account for almost a quarter of the market, according to New Automotive and Independent Transport Research Group. It comes as purchases of new petrol and diesel registrations in September were down a third on last year. And a Christmas gift presented to Sheerness by a local artist has been destroyed by vandals within just 40 minutes. A festive bell with the word believe was left in the town centre by the man behind the Moo Mop mouse paintings, which you may have seen before, and have popped up across Sheppey. Well, we've been told it was smashed on the floor and stamped on by a group of teenagers. Kent Online Sport. Football first and Gillingham's League One game against Crew Alexandra on Saturday has been called off following a COVID outbreak. The club had sent their office staff home and closed the stadium following a number of cases, which has now been confirmed to have spread to the squad. A rearranged date for the fixture has yet to be announced. And in cricket, Kai Ahmed will return to Kent for next year's T20 blast season. The 21-year-old made 12 appearances for the Spitfires during their 2021 campaign and had one of the best economies rates of any bowler in the competition. He's currently playing in Australia but will rejoin Kent in the summer. Well that's all from us for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and you can also get access to the ad-free Kent Online premium site by heading to kentonline.co.uk forward slash subscribe. And whilst you're on the site today you can read our review of the festive food offering at Kent's biggest weather spoon, the Royal Pavilion in Ramsgate. Bit of a heads up, there's not a slice of turkey in sight. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Ball in Maidstone, your brand new luxury sports and gaming bar with American pool, table tennis, beer pong, live sports, delicious food and bottomless brunches.